Good afternoon, everybody. Good morning. Good evening. Depends what time zone you're listening from. Coming to you on January 26, 2021. This is the Sheridan Show. I'm Chris Sheridan from basketballnews.com. I'm very pleased to uh, be joined by a guy I've uh, been covering the NBA with for two decades, Roderick Turner, better known as Brad Turner from the LA Times. Brad, thank you very much for coming on the show, and and let's get right to it. We're going to talk about Kobe Bryant because today is the anniversary of his death, and we're going to talk about uh, the stories we remember from covering him. Uh, we both covered him when he was a rookie, and uh, you know he spent 20 years as a as a Laker. So let's get right at it. Uh, you have a great story in the LA Times today. Talked to Devin George, Robert Horry, Rick Fox, um, and they were sharing some of their their best memories of uh, of Kobe. Which of those stories that they told uh, kind of resonates with you the most, Brad? <laughs> I'm going to say with the one by Robert when he said at the time Kobe was not a very good three point shooter. He always worked on it, but he wasn't good at it. And they played this game called Knockout. It would be with Robert Ory, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, and Kurt Remis, the assistant coach. And so he saw how much fun they were having playing the game. And Robert says, Kobe decides, I want to play with you guys. And he would lose. The next day of practice, Kobe's out there shooting a thousand threes because he wants to win the game. So he go back and he lose again. Then he go back and shoot a thousand more threes. The next day he goes, let's play again. Then he goes, nah, man, we ain't playing. He goes, what? They did that just to mess with him. They make him piss off. <laughs> he would lose the games, but it just showed all of them how hard he worked at trying to improve every facet of his game. And once he did that, before we knew it, he became a damn good three-point shooter, as well as being someone who could drive, had the mid-range game, post-up game. And the idea that it took something like that to push him because he wanted to beat them in practice as well as he wanted to beat the opponent, the Celtics, San Antonio, Houston, whoever was in his way. First, he had to beat his teammates in a game of knockout. Yeah, and a thousand three-pointers a day, that's a lot of work. And Kobe was famous for getting to the gym, not at 5 a.m., but maybe like at 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. <laughs> right. Uh, he, you know, he grew up kind of a a, a sheltered kid in the uh, in the main line at suburbs of Philadelphia because he was from Italy. He grew up in Italy, and all of a sudden, here's a black kid in the Philly suburbs speaking with an Italian accent, whose dad was a ball player, and he didn't really fit in with that crowd. So he was he grew up as a bit of a loner in high school, uh, and and so he worked on his game, and that's one of the reasons why he was able to go directly from high school to the pros was. He spent so much time uh, just playing basketball and practicing. But then when he became a professional, he took it to a different level. And when you're shooting a thousand three pointers every morning, you're going to become a damn good three point shooter. And, and, and that's what happened with him. Uh, Brad, you were with, uh, you covered all the, the championships, the three championships that Shaq and Kobe had together. How much did those guys uh, genuinely dislike the, each other? And how much do you think of it was a relationship that evolved over time into one of fondness and mutual respect? Well, it did evolve over time, as you said, but there was a point, I think, after they won their first championship where Kobe thought, perhaps it's time for me to become the captain. I'm the guy. I want to lead these guys. And you know Shaq. Hasn't changed today. There's no way in hell that was going to happen because Kobe worked out during the summertime and Shaq chilled because that's what Shaq does during the summertime and then gets ready to play during the season. 
Well, because of that conflict they had, the bickering of who was going to lead, they had their issues and it was not contrived. It was not put together by the press. They had issues with each other because of one guy being Shaquille wasn't willing to work quite as hard as the other guy being Kobe Bryant. But the one thing they would do, they took all that animosity toward each other on who was going to be the leader and they took it out on the opponent. They still kick plenty of ass while bickering about whose team this was. Now on the court, you knew it was the Lakers. You knew damn well Kobe was going to bring it. Shaq was going to bring it. And if you got in your way, in the case of Shaq, you got dunked on. In the case of Kobe, you got dunked on as well. You got embarrassed. You got a three-point shot. You got game put on you. So they worked at being teammates on the court. It was just that during the process of all that, leading up to those things, the idea of whose team would it be was always something they went back and forth with. And through the time Shaq was there, I mean, it was his team. Because one of the things I remember the most was Phil Jackson saying, Kobe, if you were the leader, who is going to follow you? And that more or less made him think that perhaps it wasn't his time just yet. His time did not come until way. And it was a team, let's be honest, that had Ron Harper, who had won three championships before he got there with Michael Jordan. Robert Orr had won two titles in Houston. Brian Shaw had been to the finals before. AC Green was on one of those teams. He had won titles with Magic. They didn't really need a true leader per se because they were all professionals. But you had to have someone that was the captain of the team, someone that you looked up to. And most likely, that would usually go to the best player. And at that time, Shaquille was the best player in the league, on the team. But, man, Kobe was right on his heels. Yeah, and it's really a testament to Phil Jackson's uh ability to work with different personalities and different people and harness that, uh, that sort of animosity that was under the boiling under the surface, but make those guys work together and turn them into a championship team. You know, I remember, uh, when Kobe was a rookie, he was 18 and, uh, the Lakers were in New York playing the Knicks. And back then I was with the Associated Press and we sat courtside. The scores table was the press table then. And the AP seat was right next to the Lakers bench. It was right next to the visiting bench. You got to look into pretty much every huddle. And I remember it was early in Kobe's rookie season. And I looked down at him and and because he was sitting just 10 feet away from me. And he, man, he looked young. And he had this look <laughs> on his face. He was looking at Shaq. And it was just like a, this bewilderment in his eyes. Like, man, I can't believe Shaq is my teammate. But that was 18-year-old Kobe. And 18-year-old Kobe grew up and became, you know, 38-year-old Kobe and scored 81 along the way. Um and, and so, Brad, let me turn it right back to you. Um, when do you think, during, over the course of Kobe's career, um, he really turned into uh, not just a great player and a superstar, but an all-time great, uh, a, a guy who's immortal? You know, we began to see that during the NBA Finals against Indiana. So that had been in 2000. There was a game where Shaquille fouled out of, and I want to say that was game four, and Kobe was coming off an ankle injury, which he did not play in game three. So Shaq fouls out, and of course, everyone's thinking the Lakers are going to lose to the Pacers. Reggie Miller and that gang, they have a chance to tie the series at 2-2. Well, in overtime, Kobe Bryant went to work. 
you saw seeing things that you would not expect to see out of someone that young. I don't know how old it was. I want to say 21, perhaps 22. And he took over the overtime. He was just this monster. He was this incredible human being. And you realize that, yes, he has some of that Michael Jordan in his game. A lot of it, if not all of it. And once he did that, I remember turning to uh, my coworker at the time was Lyle Spencer. And we both looked at each other and we said, this dude is here. He's not coming. He is here. He is that dude. He is really the next coming the closest thing we've seen to Michael Jordan, and it was because of that one game I thought then, now we know he has greatness in him. I will also say that I think once he went from being number eight to being number 24, 24 was the guy who understood the game better than eight did. Eight was young, ambitious, always about attacking everyone, any slight Against him, he wanted to go at you. He wanted to prove everyone that I'm the best player in the world. And he was chasing people, as Rick Fox said. I think once he became number 24, people were chasing him. And he found a way to keep them all at bay because he always worked on his game, was fundamentally sound, improved the three-point shooting, understood where he could play against the defense, how he could score against the defense. He became a man, whereas when he was... Number eight, he was this young person who became a young man. And from that point, I think at 24 numbers, I want to say change that number right around eight, a ninth year in the league. But number 24 was someone who understood the game of basketball, understood how to be a better leader, understood how to push teammates the right way, say the right things. So number 24 was different from number eight. But 24 is the guy we start to see emerge as not only just a great basketball player, but a great leader and someone who became more civic minded, who was involved in a lot of different issues and was willing to speak up on those issues. He evolved and he kept evolving up until the time of his death. Yeah, 24 was 23 plus one, which I don't think was coincidental. Um, Kobe also wore number 10, uh, and I'll tell you a story, because he wore number 10 on uh, Team USA, and I covered uh, a, a lot of Team USA's and uh, USA basketball at the Olympics. And uh, at 2008 at the Beijing Olympics, that was a great team. LeBron was on that team. They had a pretty much every superstar in the NBA on that team that was known as the Redeem Team. And um, they beat Spain for the gold medal in a really great, great matchup. Um, Al Gasol was talking about it on, on TV today. But the other guys on Team USA, especially LeBron, LeBron, really learned quick what a global superstar looks like because they all had pretty pretty heavy security um, traveling around uh, different parts of China. We were in Macau and we were in uh, uh, Shang- Shanghai and then got to Beijing and the security was, was super tight around Team USA, of course, because it's the Olympics. But then there was the security around Kobe and Kobe could not leave his hotel room. Because there was about 5,000 Chinese fans outside Team USA's hotel day and night. And he one time tried to get out and just to get some fresh air and take a walk. And he was absolutely mobbed. And the security went nuts because 
know, they don't know who's in a crowd of 5,000 people in, in the middle of Beijing. It's a foreign country. And the other guys on Team USA saw that and said, well, damn, that's a, that's a little bit of a different level, man. This guy is truly a global superstar, whereas some of the other NBA players, they had had, you know, they had seen kind of flickers of that, uh, even some of their own followers back home. But to see it in China and to, to see the mass of people, uh, was really an eye opener for uh, uh, for for those guys, but uh, Brad, let's let's uh, look at the, uh, turn it toward uh, this Laker team that you're covering this season because LeBron James went into Cleveland last night. Mm. Uh, somebody from the Cleveland front office piped up at the end of the third quarter, and he went out and scored 21 in the fourth. Uh, and it, you know, with the with the great ones, with the superstars, all it takes is one little thing to motivate him, and then bam, it's like flipping a switch and LeBron did that last night against Cleveland and knocked them out in the fourth quarter. But Kobe used to draw the same kind of inspiration and he'd find it wherever he could. Would would you agree with that? Absolutely. It could be a fan in the stand saying something that you're no good without Shaquille or without Shaq, you're not anyone. And he just put up, you know, fingers, five rings. He'd find a way to more or less, make you feel small after you try to talk trash to him. So, okay, I'll show you. And if you were an opponent and you thought he was going to shake your hand, no. He was not about being friendly with anybody. He was about trying to cut your throat out because in his eyes, that's the mama mentality, is that you are the toughest guy out there. You are the meanest person on the court at all times. And when the game was over, if you won, congratulations. But if I won, congrats to me too. Let me know that I did my job, that I performed in front of the fans, I performed in front of other people, other athletes that want to see him play. He was someone, man. It, it was a joy to watch him play all those years because you knew there was not going to be a night where he took it off. He was going to give you all he had all the time. And he wanted to, he wanted to win all 82 games. He wanted to be 82 and 0. He knew it could happen, but he tried his best and he gave his best shot in all 82 games he played during the regular season. He's Brad Turner. You can follow him on Twitter at BA underscore Turner uh, with the Los Angeles Times now for 13 years. Uh, before that, when I first got to know you, Brad, you were with the Riverside Press Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a real competitive beat in those days with the LA Times, LA Daily News, and yourself. And um, Kobe read the papers, didn't he? Yes, he did. I don't think he did not. I love the story that Mike Brethren, my former co-worker, told that during the NBA Finals, I think 2008 against Boston. I'm sorry, actually it was 2009. We played against Orlando. And Mike is walking. He's staying in the same hotel. And he's walking down the room. And he noticed that he noticed a room that had a lot of LA Times papers and other newspapers stacked up on that door. Well, come to find out, that room was Kobe Bryant's room. So we knew for sure then he could deny that he didn't read things. And at that time, people read newspapers, at least, Chris. Now, no, no one does except for the few. Now you read everything online. But the idea that Kobe would read papers, he wanted to find out who was saying what about him, what reporter, what columnist wrote about him. And he wanted to find out what player, what coach, what agent, what front office guy said something about him so he could prove them wrong. So yeah, he was a, and like he was a smart man. 
And then he wasn't just reading the sports section. He also read business sections. He wanted to find out what other top executives were doing with their lives, how they had these great businesses. You know, so he read it for a lot of different things, but mostly he wanted to read about the sports section to see what was being written about him. And then taking that and making that part of what he used to fuel him once the game started. And he knew who wrote what because uh, you guys did have your, your back and forth with him as a group. Bresnahan, Howard Beck, yourself, Kevin Ding. Uh, it, was a, it was a good time to be a, a, a Los Angeles sports writer. Um, and, uh, you know, Brad, you, you've been one of the best. And, and I wonder if you could kind of describe for people listening outside of the Southern California area just how much of a love affair there is in Los Angeles between the Lakers and their fan base. Man, they're fanatics. I mean, right now, if you ask a Laker fan, will they trade for James Harden and get him away from Brooklyn? Laker fans believe that'll happen. Because, or they'll get Kevin Durant. Why? Because they think they should have every single top player in the NBA on their team. Now they have LeBron James. It, it took a while for them to really start to have this likeness. It's not quite a love affair yet for LeBron James, but they get LeBron James. The next thing you know, they're saying, we're going to get AD. And eventually they get AD. So now here they are with this incredible team that's going from having Jerry West and Elgin Baylor to Kareem and Magic and James Worthy to Kobe and Shaq and Rick Fox and Robert Owen and Phil Jackson being a coach to having LeBron James and AD. Think about that, man. They've had some of the best NBA players of all time playing for this franchise. So if you're a Laker fan, you think it's your birthright to have the best players because you are a Laker fan, kind of like the Yankees are back in New York City. I mean, people expect the Yankees to get every top player around. They didn't get Mookie. We got him here with the Dodgers. So we take that from the Red Sox. You know what I mean? But that's the way Laker fans think. That's the way they live. And that's what they will always believe. They should have the best players because why would you not want to play for the Lakers? Sunshine, most of the year round, Beaches, beautiful people, great restaurants, good wine, all those good things. Yeah, Los Angeles is a great city, great city. And LA Times is a great paper. They're lucky to have Brad Turner. I should mention the Los Angeles Times has a real nice coffee table book. It's called Kobe Bryant, a newspaper tribute. Uh, my producer, Brian Fritz, has a copy that his wife got him. Uh, you can buy that online. It's seventy nine ninety nine. You can just, if you Google LA Times Kobe Bryant book, you can buy it and uh, send some of your money to that newspaper, which is a, a, a journalism, you know, mainstay uh, in Southern California. It's the most respected paper in Southern Cal. And whether we read it in the, get it in our driveway, which some of us still do, or whether we read it online. <laughs> Uh, the newspapers still do a great uh, a great job in both in straight news and in sports writing, and uh, we'd be lost without them. So uh, again, I'm joined with uh, joined by Broderick Turner, better known as Brad Turner. He's B A Long Dash Turner or B A underscore Turner on Twitter. I'm Chris Sheridan at Sheridan Hoops on Twitter, um, and this is a basketball news podcast called The Sheridan Show. Brad, let's wrap it up with your prediction for this year because Tom Brady's going back to the Super Bowl. Um, 
It seems like LeBron James has a birthright to go to the NBA Finals. And right now, as we record here in late January, the Lakers are on top in the West with a 14-4 and record. They going back again? You know, I think so, Chris. I still think they're the best team in the league. They have two of the top five best players in the NBA. I mean, it won't be easy, even though they're making things look relatively easy right now. I mean, they're 10-0 on the road. They're 4-4 at home. So if you get them at home, you got a good chance to beat them, I guess. But on the road, in your own arena, it doesn't look good. My question is, who comes out of the East? I'm not totally sold just yet on Brooklyn because they can't call you and I, and we're a bunch of old men. I'm going to get, okay, I couldn't. But you might can get 10 points out there on them, Chris. Now, you might give up 40, and you'll be broken down and tied and worn out when the game is over. But until Brooklyn improves their defense, I just think it's open. I mean, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Boston is someone I still like. Milwaukee, I'll put them in there, but they're a little shaky. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Miami is still struggling. They're not, they don't appear to be the team they were when they lost to the Lakers in October in the NBA Finals. So those are my five teams that I think have a chance in the East. Which one comes out? I'm just not sure yet. But I think in the West is still the Lakers. I like what Ty Lue has done with the Clippers. I think they'll be there. I mean, hopefully for the sake of Ty Lue, someone I've covered, who played for the Lakers, who's a Kobe Bryant fan, who also told a great story, Chris, about having these pictures in his home of Kobe in Las Vegas. Once Kobe died in that crash, Ty Lue said he took them down. He couldn't have them up in his house. He then had someone that worked for the Clippers, came to his office at the facility and said, man, Ty, put some pictures up. He goes, of what? He goes, of Kobe Bryant. He goes, I can't do it. I'm not ready. Those are some powerful stories to have told to you. you know, so I just said it because Tyson one that I've known since he was a rookie playing for the Lakers. He won two championships with them. He and Kobe had a great relationship. So he's taken his Clipper team over for Doc Rivers, who's now in Philadelphia, and he's made them a tougher team. He's made them more committed to it, to what the process is, and to understand it's not going to be easy. So I liked them a lot. I did like Denver. Obviously, they're kind of inconsistent here and there. You know, so, but I still think out of the group, it's the, um, it's the Lakers coming out of the West. Who they face in the East, man. But me, it remains to be seen. Yeah, don't forget about Indiana. Um, Demonis Simotis is having a, a, just a spectacular year. Malcolm Brogdon's playing a lot better. Right. Uh, you know, Miami uh, had a terrible game in Brooklyn last night, but Tyler Hero uh, didn't play. Brooklyn's got to get another center, and I wrote a column about that yesterday. You can see that on basketballnews.com. And before I forget, um, you were telling the story about Kobe against the Indiana Pacers. What made that win over the Pacers even better was that was Reggie Miller's best season. <clears throat> You're talking about another Hall of Famer. He may go into the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster as well, but uh, yes. you know, he had his battles with the Knicks, and, uh, and they were epic, man, and I was there for all of them. And that was, that was his best season. And, uh, and, and Kobe took him down in the, in the finals, and that was Reggie Miller's best chance to win a championship. And, you know, it'll, it'll be fun to hear Reggie reminisce about that when the next time he's on TV. But I'm going to have to get it to a wrap. Um, 
Don't forget about Philadelphia in the East, Brad. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I like, I mentioned Philly. I like them. I like Joe the way he's playing. And Doc Rivers, one thing I will say about him, he will push that team. He will coach the hell out of that team. But I don't know yet. Again, I just, I'm just not sure because I would say this. I, I'll be curious to watch those teams fight it out and play and see which one comes out left up standing. And then you still got to get to the NBA Finals once you go through each other. So it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. It always turns better in the playoffs. And, you know, Philly, they haven't won one on the games that Joel Embiid has missed. And he's got himself right up there in the MVP conversation. Yes. Because they're so good when he does play, but he's got to play every game. And if Doc can can kind of harness his character and, and get him to mature, that's something that always vexed Brett Brown. If Doc is able to do that, that team does have the talent that's capable of getting to the finals. Um, I'm kind of with you. I'm not 100% sold on, on Brooklyn as of yet, but I don't think that's a finished product. And Milwaukee, right. I disagree with you. I think they're a better team than they were last year. Do you really? Okay. Well, I like I love the Drew Holiday edition. I think Dante DiVincenzo is playing a heck of a lot better. Um, the, they just look good. But, you know, Giannis's free throw shooting is going is, – he's – below 60% this season, and that is going to come back and bite him somewhere, somewhere. So, I don't know. We'll see. It remains to be determined. Nobody picked Miami to come out of the East last year, and I think we're going to see changes at the trade deadline in mid-March that are going to alter everyone's perspective of who's going to come out of the East because you can make the case that every contending team in the East is really one player away, even Brooklyn after having gotten James Harden. They had to give up Jared Allen, and they're a donut team. They got a hole in the middle. DeAndre Jordan's good. But he's been around for a while, got a lot of miles on those tires, and they need someone to back him up. Um, so we'll see what Sean Marks can come up with there. He's definitely shopping around and looking, and there'll be guys available at the trade deadline or through buyouts or coming over from China. So we'll see. There's a lot of basketball left to be played this, uh, this season. So, Brad, again, thanks for joining me on this Tuesday afternoon, the one-year anniversary of the passing of Kobe Bryant. Great stories you told. And uh, – you know, it's an honor. We're both lucky, man. We work in this business and we get to get to know these guys and cover them and, and talk to them up close and personal. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's really a gift to, to be able to do that. And uh, you've done it as well as anybody. And it, it's great to see you. Thank that, you, Chris. That's the two decades, mark, man. Two decades in the LA. It, it's with, you know, LA Times 13 years now. Um, so you do a heck of a job. And I would encourage all our listeners to. Google Broderick uh, Turner, L.A. Times, Kobe Bryant, because he's got a great story in the paper today with people remembering their, their fondest memories of Kobe. So with that, we're going to do make it a wrap. I'll be back with another show uh, as soon as the news cycle gives me something to talk about. And one more time, uh, check out the L.A. Times uh, newspaper tribute to Kobe Bryant. It has every story in the newspaper during his career, uh, and they're all in chronological order. It's a coffee table book. Uh, so you put that on your coffee table, you have some coffee, you got some reading, you put your feet up like Brad's about to do after he gets off my show. <laughs> wait for the game. a nice glass of wine. And wait for the games to come on at night, and then we get, on, <laughs> get up and do it again the next day. All right, that's a wrap, Brad. Thanks again. And uh, to all my listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. Keep coming to basketballnews.com and check out all of our array of podcasts. Everybody from Alex Kennedy to James Posey to Ethan Thomas and Vinny Del Negro, uh, we're putting out a whole lot of content, both written and broadcast, and a lot more great things are coming from the crew at basketballnews.com, where I'm proud to be a member of the newest, best basketball website out there. And with that, we are over and out.